Welcome to Practice Purchased, episode three of season three. We're talking lawyers with Ashley Smith. Miss Ashley, say hello. Hello. Well, I'm glad to have you back because this episode is the one that I think gets the very most comments and questions from people out there that ask me when they're not comfortable asking you. (laughs) So this is the episode we're going to talk all about fees and how much it's going to cost buyers that are listening to this episode to hire you or another dental attorney around the country to get them through the transition so they can own a practice. So um, before I get in and ask you some very specific questions, I'd love to get your reaction to a couple stories that I can remember uh, from clients who you know I work with. And I'm, I'm a big advocate of flat fee relationships between parties, especially when you're a specialist and you know how much time things generally take and surprises are relatively rare. Um, you know, my bill is, is fixed and people know what they're going to get. And then I've worked with some clients who will, um, you know, ask for some time They say, Brian, you know, I need a little time to pay you and they say, oh gosh, you know, yeah, happy to accommodate what, what's going on. Is everything okay? And the, <laughs> the response now it's, it's been, um, a handful of times has been, I don't know that I can afford my lawyer bill. And I say, oh my gosh, like, really? How, how much are we talking? And, and actually, I don't know, maybe you won't be surprised, but I, you know, I've heard um, 16500 18900 was a number I heard, uh, 22300 was another number I heard, all on deals, by the way, that either almost didn't close or in one of those cases didn't close. And so the buyer was stuck with this gigantic, you know, 20, almost $20,000 bill for a transition that never actually happened. Um, so <laughs> that's, that's the stage that I'm coming to, um, knowing that 99% of the times, uh, things go smoothly. Clients are thrilled with the fees they pay. They're, they're happy to pay them. And, and I agree they should be, um, as we get into this topic of fees, Ashley, you know, have you seen kind of some of those horror stories? And, and as we kind of tee things up here, um, can you give people words of wisdom just to kind of set the stage and get them mentally prepped for the money side of this discussion? Oh, absolutely. And, and to be honest, I'm not shocked. I'm not shocked that um, there are some dentists who have seen bills over $20,000. I used to work for a firm that only did hourly billing. And it was really hard for me. I didn't like that model. But unfortunately, the legal industry is really stuck in its ways. And for some reasons, attorney really, attorneys really like to bill hourly. And it's really hard for them to move away. And especially big firms, it's really hard for big firms to move away from the hourly billing model. Yeah. So it is the most common. It's it's what you'll probably discover as you shop around. Uh, We will get into that. Uh, We'll get into more detail on flat fee versus hourly. But Ashley, let me just ask you straight up, right up front. I want the words that come out of your mouth next to be a number or numbers. How much can buyers expect to pay their dental-focused or dental-only transitions attorney to help them buy a dental practice? All right. If you're looking at a typical transition, you're probably looking at between $5,000 and $15,000. Now, it can be less and it can be significantly more, but that is a normal range. And that's probably what you want to hear coming out of the attorney's mouth that you're uh, looking to hire. I like it. Okay. So five to 15,000. Um, good to know the range. That's a pretty big range. Um, it sounds like, so what, what are some of the factors that can, will, if someone's listening, how will they know if they're on the $5,000 end of the range or the $15,000 end of the range? Okay. Well, a simple transition 
would be something like an asset purchase um, and a lease. And, you know, you've already entered into the LOI. That's going to be on the less expensive side. Um, so the you want to... The attorney will probably change their fees depending on whether it's an asset purchase or a stock purchase or another type of partnership buy-in. And now I will say, you know, asset purchases are a little bit more complex than stock purchases. So it actually might be less expensive if you're doing a stock purchase or a buy-in because there are just fewer moving parts. Um, Also, what really will affect the attorney fees is whether you're leasing or purchasing the building. That's okay. huge. Because- Let me go back for a second. And I apologize for interrupting the stock versus asset sale. I understand that as an accountant. I know what you mean. I don't think most dentists are going to understand what, what, like, what are you talking about? Stock or asset sale? Let's just, can I give my attempt at an answer? And then you come in as the lawyer and correct me. <laughs> but that's what I'm the a stock sale is when I'm actually buying the shares of a company and that company isn't going to close down. I'm, I'm actually buying the legal entity of a dentist that was running a business beforehand. In other words, I'm buying all the, his or her shares of stock and I'm going to keep that business entity up and running. What happens in, I'm not even going to say, well, I do have to say 99%. I have seen a couple stock sales, but it's, it's 99% of the time it's an asset sale. Meaning the dentist, um, you know, John Smith DDS LLC is the entity that was running the dental practice before. Now it's, Nancy Jones, DMD LLC, she's starting a new business entity and she's going to buy the assets, hence the name asset sale. She's going to buy the assets of the pri- prior business and move everything over into her new business entity. Did I get the basics right? I mean, there's some tax ramifications and a lot of other details, but is that the basics? I think you stated that perfectly. And then the other option is a you know a partnership buy-in where it might not be stock, so it might not be a corporation that's set up, but you are buying into an LLC and you're going to be a member of an existing LLC. Got it. And that There's, is more complex to buy into an existing business? It actually isn't because okay. there are fewer moving parts. So most most transitions are asset purchase transitions. Um, if it's a stock purchase or a partnership buy-in, it's it'll likely be a little less expensive. Got it. Okay. And then I interrupted you. You were talking about real estate. You were saying leasing versus buying the building. Which of those is more complex? Purchasing a building is always going to be a lot more complex and it's going to be more expensive. And if you're leasing, generally um, the seller will have, well, generally the um, landlord will have a lease drafted. And then you want your attorney to actually negotiate the terms of that lease. And it's it's a lot easier than an actual real estate purchase. And, you know, I know a lot of dentists have bought homes. Maybe, maybe they haven't, but when you're buying property, you're signing a lot of documents. There are a lot more documents that you have to deal with. There's a, there are a lot more legal ramifications that you're dealing with, with a real estate purchase when you're buying a commercial building. That makes sense. Any other major factors to, for dentists to be aware of as they go through and think about buying into or buying out of practice? Yeah. So, um, the other factors that are going to affect the price are whether you need to create a new entity to own the practice. So you might already have an LLC, but if not, you might need to create one or a PLLC, depending on which state you're in. Mm-hmm. Um, and it depends on which state you're actually going to be practicing in. 
And because that can actually move the cost because each state has its own fees. You might need a registered or statutory agent in that state because you're not living there yet. And so you might have to pay registered agent fees. Um, and then, you know, what also is going to move the price is whether you're purchasing the practice yourself or you're partnering with mm. one or more other buyers. Obviously, that's going to be a little less expensive for you. Um, and also, what aspects of the transition are you going to have the attorney be part of? Are you going to hire the attorney for the full transition? Are you going to create the entity yourself so you don't have to pay the attorney for that? That's also going to move the price. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. The state one is interesting. I, I knew state filing fees could be different, but you're saying it could be even, there's, there might be additional hurdles in certain states. And I, I actually don't know the answer to this question, but I'm going to suspect California, New York, Illinois, uh, Washington, Oregon, maybe some of the <laughs> coastal you're cities. exactly right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So there, um, and some of them have higher renewal fees. Yeah. Um, so they have higher registration fees. You know, some states charge $50 to register an LLC. While you have other states, um, some of those states that you mentioned will charge $800 yeah. to register. And so it obviously, is, that's going to be a lot more expensive. Okay, perfect. Um, all right. Anything else to say on factors that will move the price? Or can I move on to talking about flat fee versus hourly? Let's talk about that. Okay. So I'm a big, I, we talked about it right at the top of the call. I'm, I'm a big advocate of flat fee. I write in my book that I would prefer buyers choose an attorney who's flat fee versus an attorney who's hourly. Um, so those are my biases up front. Now there are some subtleties here though. And let's talk about if, if let, let me just ask the question this way. Is flat fee the only way to go, Ashley? Not necessarily. Okay. So there are a number of, it's like I said, the, the, legal industry is having a hard time catching up. And so it's really hard to get attorneys to move away from the hourly rate. But there are a lot of them who will cap their hourly rate. And so um, if you're hiring an hourly rate attorney, but they're going to cap it, then you're taking on a lot less risk. But if if you hire an attorney who charges an hourly rate and doesn't cap that rate, then you're taking on a huge amount of risk. If the deal goes sideways for whatever reason. But if you hire a flat fee attorney, then that attorney is taking on the risk of the deal mm-hmm. going sideways. So a, a cap, a lawyer might say, I'm 200 bucks an hour, 250 an hour, whatever the number is, but I cap my total fee at $7,500. Is that, that kind of sounds like the best of both worlds to me. Um, I could come in lower than 7,500, but I'm not gonna be over 7,500. Is there more to it than that? Is there anything else I should know about that type of arrangement? Yes, I think from my experience, and this is also from an experience working in a bigger law firm, is generally a lawyer who caps will still, that cap will generally be higher than a flat fee attorney. But Mm -hmm. you know, every attorney is different. So it's important to ask and you always want to ask if there's a cap on the hourly Okay. No, that's fair. Yeah. So you're saying... Um, I know that if I call you, you're going to quote me a flat fee. We'll talk about how you charge in a second, how that, you know, compares to other folks out there. But, um, I know I'm going to get a number from you. If I called another attorney, you're saying they might quote me an hourly at a cap, but very likely that number, the cap number is going to be bigger than a flat fee attorney's number in, in a lot of cases, certainly not in every case. And you can ask and maybe shop. Yeah. I think it's important to mention that because, I have talked to other dental transition attorneys who they 
give, they say, okay, you pay me a $7,500 retainer. Mm -hmm. And what the dentist hears is $7,500 and doesn't realize that if you go past that retainer, you're still going to have to pay that bill. Right. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. (laughs) So it's almost the reverse of a cap. It's the, you got to pay me X number for me to even show up. And then I'm going to allot a certain number of hours to you. Maybe I give you 20 hours, 40 hours. I don't know what $7,500 buys me of your time. But if you use more of that time, more, more of my time than the allotted 20 hours, I'm going to bill you at my normal hourly rate. Right. And it's important to know what that hourly rate is because you've got some attorneys who have $200 an hour for their hourly rate and then who are $500 an hour. Yeah. Yep. Um, I've always kind of, uh, one of the reasons I felt more comfortable in the flat fee world is my sense of like, like you were saying, um, legal industry slower to adapt, not a lot of innovation compared with say tech. <laughs> I don't right. know anything compared to tech, but um, one of the innovations that I am liking is lawyers who are willing to have a niche and, um, and, and focus like you do on not, not just dentists, but dental transitions, right? Is a subsection of the dental industry. And so my sense is you have a very, like when you get on the phone with a client, you tell me if this is true, because uh, I do this as the accountant, I kind of have a sense after I talk with the client and get a sense of the deal, what's happening, are we buying the real estate, which state are we in, how do you know the seller, right? Some of the basic questions, I get through those and I've got a pretty decent sense of how complicated the deal is going to be. And, and my experience has been that the, uh, the hourly attorneys maybe don't quite have that same set of experiences to draw from. Um, and, and they're, they don't, they're not as comfortable quoting a flat fee because they have no idea how long that transition is going to take. And, or right. If I'm a member of a, a, you know, big law co white shoe, whatever law firm in whatever big city we're talking about. And I do everything from wills to litigation to patents to now I'm, Oh, you want me to do a dental transition? No problem. I can do that too. That's, that's not hard. That's just contract law. I took that second year of law school, <laughs> right? Now now I'm paying as a client to educate you on how to do dental deals. Um, so I've always had that bias towards flat fee, but um, it sounds like there's many different flavors. It's not just flat fee versus hourly. There are some subtleties to it and people need to be aware of that. Absolutely, absolutely. Okay. All right. What, Ashley, what if the deal doesn't close, okay? Buyer hires you, maybe they hire me or not some of their accountants, um, and then uh, this just happened to me on a deal in Spokane uh, a couple months ago through no fault of the buyers, right? Seller just backed out. For, and by the way, we never got an explanation. Uh, very inexplicable, still owns the practice. Uh, buyer and I spent, you know, dozens and dozens of hours on the deal already. Lawyer spent dozens of hours. What happens then? Well, it depends. That's that's your classic attorney answer. But it really <laughs> depends on your attorney's policies. And I know a number of dental transition attorneys, and they all have different policies. So it's really important that you have a good understanding and that you ask your attorney what is going to happen if the deal doesn't close. But this is why a lot of attorneys charge hourly. This is why they charge a retainer and then they charge hourly because then they can charge their time toward the retainer. And then if the deal doesn't close, you get the remaining amount of the retainer back. And so that you might look at that as an advantage. However, there are different policies for if the deal doesn't close. So my policy, and my policy is different than a lot of other dental transition attorneys' policies, but 
my policy is that I require a, you know, I, I quote the flat fee and I have done enough of these that I generally know exactly how much time it's going to take me to do a transition. And so I require half up front in order to start working. And then, and the deal is you pay me half at closing. However, I do keep track of my time that I work on, on your matter. And if the deal falls through, I only charge for the time that I spent on the transition up to the point the deal fell through. Now that could be the full amount, you Mm -hmm. know, the deal could fall through at closing. I've seen that happen. I've seen it fall through the day before closing and I've spent 30 hours on a matter. And so you do have to compensate your attorney for the time that they've already put into your transition. And so the way I do it is I still track my time, although I would say a lot of the times, you know, my time exceeds my flat fee, some, you know, sometimes, and then sometimes it doesn't. So, um, you would get, and and let's say you put half up front, we do a couple hours of work and the deal falls through after a couple hours of work, then I would send the remaining amount back to you. So it is sort of like a retail. That, that, that is unusual. I've never heard of a lawyer sending money back, <laughs> but that, that's pretty generous. And that's really fair. And I would suspect that if it's a buyer, right, they're going to have another transition right around the corner. So it's, it's um, um, yeah, that makes sense. I like that. That's really cool. Well, okay. Oh, I, I was just going to mention, you know, the, the reason I do that is because I am in a niche practice and it's really important for me to get referrals. And I know that if I'm fair with my clients, that that I'm also going to get referrals. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It's a, I was about to start singing the small world song, but we don't need that on the podcast. Okay. Um, real quick, before we get to the, our time limit, are there any other questions the buyers need to be asking the attorney uh, for lack of a better phrase, just to make sure they don't get screwed? Yeah, I, I love it. And you know, the first thing you want to know is what is the scope of the engagement and the attorney services? Are they going to participate in the negotiations or are they just going to review and draft your documents only? And so it's important to understand the scope and then always, always ask how much is required up front and what happens if the deal doesn't close. It's important that you understand that policy. Um, And then finally, there should always be some kind of engagement agreement or engagement letter that the attorney sends you that outlines the terms of your attorney-client relationship. Um, And then make sure that you understand the terms of that letter. And I've talked about this before. It should be in plain English. You should understand it. it. As as a dentist, you are an intellectual person. You're smart. You should understand your own contract and agreements that you're entering into. Shalls and heretofores. And yeah, okay. I remember. Yeah, I need. I still need to update my LOI. Can <laughs> um, speaking of LOIs, I just this is a totally separate question. Um, are there things that a buyer can do to maybe save money? on lawyer fees, for example, what I'm thinking about, and this is a little bit of a self-serving comment. I don't mean this as an advertisement, but like I do the LOIs for my clients. LOI is not the practice of law. I have an LOI. I've negotiated with all the brokers around the country. So I I take care of that for my clients. And then I, you know, we kind of hand the lawyer that already finished and completed and signed LOI. Is that going to save the buyer some money? And are there other things buyers can be doing to maybe save a few bucks on their lawyer fees? Absolutely. That will absolutely save buyers money. And, but you know, it depends on the accountant or, right. and so I, I tell people who are, are maybe looking to hire me and they say, Hey, Brian, 
has already done my LOI and I say, well, I've read Brian's LOIs and I trust him and I know that they're well-written and I know that they're well-negotiated. So I have no problem with that. If you're trying to write your own LOI, you Hmm. don't know what you don't know. But if if the person who is drafting your LOI, these are generally non-legally binding documents and and so non-binding documents. They're not really legal documents. So it is okay to have someone who is experienced in the industry to draft it and it will save you some money. Some other things that might save you money, I don't necessarily recommend it, but a lot of times you can set up your own entity in whatever state that you're going to practice in. And that is not necessarily the practice of law. The problem is, again, you don't know what you don't know and you could screw something up. The other thing is you have to have an operating agreement for an LLC or bylaws for a corporation. I would not recommend printing those off the internet or trying to draft those on your own or pulling from dental town. No, we're going to, in the next episode, we're going to talk about what exactly an attorney does. The setting up of the entity is one of the three things not to steal thunder from the next episode, but it's, would it be fair to say it's the simplest and lowest cost of the three and, and isn't, I guess in my mind, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, don't, don't do legal zoom. Like just let your attorney set it up. It's just so much easier. It's worth the extra couple hundred dollars that you're going to pay your attorney to make sure it's done correctly. All right. And finally, I want to close and see if you agree with this. I suspect you will. Um, I tell my clients who call or potential clients that call and they say, all right, Brian, how much do you cost? And then how much do lawyers on that podcast? You told me five to $15,000. Gosh, that's a lot of money. Like I'm feeling cash strapped. What I tell people is, okay, if it's between me and Ashley, you hire Ashley. Like, I feel like I add a lot of value to a transition, but between the two of us, the lawyer is the must pay and the accountant is the hopefully you can afford to pay. Would you agree? Well, it would be ridiculous for me to not agree with you. (laughs) Well, fair. All right. Uh, We'll end it there. And in the next episode, we'll talk about dual rep attorneys and brokers and what a lawyer actually does. Thanks, Ashley. Thank you. 